This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. April Gargiulo. I'm the founder and CEO of Vintner's Daughter. And to me, beauty is really about a connection, a, a very trusted connection to yourself, to the world around you, to your community. It's also something that I love about beauty is actually the connection that you can make with other, with other individuals. As soon as you find out that you and the person sitting next to you are both in love with that same cult product, you have that, that immediate connection, which is an, another part of beauty that, that I really love. And again, gets back to that connection piece that I really think is at the heart of true beauty. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. April, thank you so much for joining us on Beauty Is Your Business. We're so excited to learn more about your story and what you're up to. Thank you for having me. Of course. This is Karen Moon. I'm here with my co-host, Abby Wallach. Hi, Kara. It's always great to see you. It's so nice to meet you, April. I think we have met before. We have. It's a, it's a, the beauty industry is a small world, right? Love it. Well, April, I've definitely heard about you. I know a lot of people use your product. You have a cult following, have won so many awards. Can you fill us in on the business today and where you're at? Sure. You know, it's interesting because we're about a year, I mean, I guess the year anniversary of, of kind of quarantine and is, is coming up. And so it's kind of giving me a little bit of perspective. I don't think that we'll have any level of perspective for still many years to come, but it's given me perspective to think about, you know, has, has Vintner's Daughter changed over the last year? What is it kind of, have there been any pivots, um, uh, which, you know, a lot of people are sort of talking about and, you know, what I can tell you is that we were a company that um, I was very lucky not to have had to really pivot much during during quarantine, during COVID. We, we always had a very strong DTC component to our business. It's always been over 50%. We were lucky that we had very, we didn't have very many, um, and this was always something that we were very considered and very thoughtful about. We didn't have very many retail or stock as partners around the world. And the ones that we had were the ones that had been in business for a long time, had very, um, they were, you know, what we think of as sort of the, the most tastemaker kind of beauty retailers in the world. And they had a kind of, a, you know, a very deep, long history of business. And so, you know, we didn't see a lot of um, uh, decline there. And then our, you know, our DTC business actually grew. But again, when I go back and I think of over the last year, what it really allowed us to do in many respects was kind of codify or formalize a lot of the systems and programs that we had in place that were kind of out of the, you know, what we believed in, um, in terms of sustainability and diversity and inclusion. And so a lot of those things became very formalized in, in Vintner's Daughter over the last year, which I'm really excited and proud about because not only does it, you know, it kind of puts it in writing, it's there in case we all disappear tomorrow, people know how we operate on, on um, so many different ways, but it also allows us to measure it and then kind of set goals around it. It's so tempting when you're in the beauty industry to have a whole line of products. And I think what's really rare about you guys, you focused on one product, did it really well. And then just last year, you know, brought product number two. So if you can tell us right. about, sure, you know, how so, you can, yes. you know, how it started and, you know, those decisions. Well, 
Okay, so so many kind of entrepreneurs start from a place of naivete, right? I mean, you kind of don't know what you don't know. And I think that that was certainly part of it. But my background was not in beauty. My background's in fine winemaking. My, my family makes wine in, in Napa Valley. Still today makes wine in Napa Valley. And so I was really lucky to grow up in this atmosphere, in this community that places such a like strong value on quality and craftsmanship. And, you know, in order to make the finest of anything, you can't cut corners, you can't take shortcuts. And so that really informed my idea of what luxury should be, right? You start with the finest ingredients, you honor those ingredients through very thoughtful, meticulous formulation practices. And hopefully, and ultimately, you know, the end, the end product is even greater than the sum of its extraordinary parts. And so, you know, I was also, um, somebody who was always dealing with cystic acne. I had cystic acne. I had crazy pigmentation. I had, you know, just the things that come along as you grow older, all the things and was using what I thought were the best products in the world. They were the most expensive products in the world. They were written about often, you know, all the things. And again, a, a super familiar refrain for, for especially first time moms. I started looking at the ingredients one day of these supposedly luxury products I was using and was shocked to realize that they were, you know, 0.01% active ingredient. The rest of it was really fill was filler, really cheap. And a lot of times it was even kind of toxic, right? Unhealthy for me and the planet. And so coming from where I was coming from, from Napa Valley, this place that really, you know, quality and craftsmanship are, are at the heart of everything they do. None of that sat right with me. None of that was my definition of what true luxury was. And so that was the genesis of Vintner's Daughter. How do I create a true luxury skincare company built on those same philosophical principles of quality and craftsmanship as this winemaking world that I'd come from, right? And with that, I had like this very, um, you know, now I look at it and think about it as kind of discipline. And I think this goes back to the original question of how do you just have one product or how did you launch with just one product? Because I had such, I was so disciplined about our mission and our, in our North star. And this is something that I always tell everyone is that you have to be really, really clear and concise on what your North star is, because you are going to have in, if you're lucky, right? If you're lucky, you're going to have crazy, shiny, glittery objects that are constantly flying at you to try to take you off course, right? And I was lucky that up front, I had a lot of resistance from the beauty world because everything I was doing, more or less, was very much, um, um, uh, you know, it was just completely different than anything that anyone had, had ever done before. Starting with my formulations, our formulations take between three and five weeks. As you probably know, most skincare is made in six hours or less. And for me, again, coming from wine industry, and this is part of that naivete I was talking about before, uh, you know, take, making a bottle of wine takes three years. So I, you know, we develop these formulas and they take three to five weeks. And I think this is genius. I think we're going to make the finest skincare in the world and it's only going to take three to five weeks. And so I then go to labs, of course, and the labs are like, you're insane. No, like we're not working. We could have made 5,000 products in the time that you're asking us to make this one product that no one's ever heard of. Right. So from the beginning, I was really challenging industry norms, challenging industry norms from our formulation practices, from our sourcing practices. We start with whole plants. No one starts with whole plants. People start with powders. They start with, um, extracts or they start with synthetics, right? They're all cheaper and easier to work with. I believe that whole plants is really what allows Fitner's Daughter products to have that deep communication with the skin to really bring about that health balance and, and, and radiance, right? And so, you know, again, we're challenging these industry norms and a huge one that we challenged was the idea that you have to have five to six to seven to eight to nine to 500 SKUs in your skincare line. 
And for us to have just had one, it was definitely something that I remember going to retailers who are now, by the way, our top retailers and them turning me away time and time again and saying, we love this product, but come back to us when you have more. I had people, industry vets, industry vets tell me, don't even worry about the other products. You've got your hit product on your hands. Like this is your, you know, quote unquote hero skew. Just slap some labels on some other stuff and it doesn't even matter. Just fill up the shelf. And um, that was, you know, I wasn't willing to do that. I wasn't willing to make compromises. Again, you know, it, it, I, not to keep kind of harping on this, but really where I come from, that, that, those, the, that ethos of Napa Valley is that like if you, and, and my family for that matter, if you put your name on it, if you put your label on it, like it better be the best. You know, I can remember as a kid, my dad telling me that, um, that we have to make extraordinary wines because if no one buys these wines, he has to drink them and he only wants to drink great wine, right? So that was sort of in the back of my head that if no one buys this product, I have to use it and I'm not settling for anything but the finest skincare at this point for my face. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we had one product for five years, which is unheard of like still today it is unheard of there was really no one to model our business after that's such a fantastic story love that love that your family is in the wine business um <laughs> and i love your philosophy and principles how you've built this cult following and you had a vision and you stuck to the vision and that's what real entrepreneurship is about right having a vision and yes. not t being taken off that path and not right. getting enamored with the shiny because yes. there are a million there, I mean, again, if you're lucky, that, right? If you're lucky, that's what's coming. That's what's coming your way. And, you know, I say it all the yes. time, but it was, it's not a sexy word, but discipline is, is really one of the critical, critical things you have to constantly exercise and sharpen as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. So I'd love to learn a little bit about how, when you did launch the brand, how mm -hmm. did you start to build this cult following? What do you, so you have this beautiful product. Mm -hmm. I've known it since the beginning. I, I've tried it. I have it. It is beautiful. Um, what, what would you say is the secret to your success to building this cult following? We know there's lots of ways to go about that, whether it's the influencer model, mm -hmm. whether it's social media, is it through friends? What, what were the um, benchmarks for you as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and founder and the business to move the needle and to grow Venter's Daughter into what it is? Yeah, I mean, so it's really unconventional. I mean, that's probably not going to come as a surprise. So we've never paid, we've never spent any, anything on marketing. There's never been a dollar spent on marketing. And so what I always say it was our, you know, our key to success and, and still is today um, is what I always call girlfriend to girlfriend, G to G. And, and certainly we have, um, you know, uh, um, not just women using Vintner's daughter, but, but that is, that was sort of the early days. That's really what grew it. And it was based off of the results. Right. And, and of course, at the same time you had this, um, you know, Instagram, um, kind of growing and all these kind of social media channels where people were sharing their skincare routines. Right. And so we really, um, were able to, um, capitalize on that, um, 
again, it was, it was really girlfriend to girlfriend and we had some, and I knew no one, right. I wasn't from the skincare business. I knew no one. I didn't know any celebrities. I didn't even, I didn't know what PR was like none of it. I mean, now of course we have a publicist who's, who's fantastic. And I have had a brand. I have all these kinds of things in place, but I mean, at the beginning it was, it was me. Um, I will never forget the sort of the big kind of turning point for, for retailers, for mostly for retailers. It's kind of, it just gave us such, um, I don't know, it just, it, it, it made it so much easier to talk to retailers after this came out. I remember I was going through my, my husband had said to me, Hey, I sent you that email. Did you read it? And I'm notorious for a race, like erasing emails and so I thought, oh man, did I erase it? I go into my my email, you know, my erase, it's not in there, or delete file. I go into my, um, uh, you know, spam folder. And in my spam folder, I see an email from an intern at Into the Gloss. And at this point, Into the Gloss is like the apotheosis of, of skincare kind of blogs, right? And, um, and I first think that I'm getting punked that one of my friends is like punking me. Right. But this it's from an intern and into the gloss and this thing in this, and he says, Hey, we're writing a story about skincare that has to do with wine. Um, and would love to feature you. And I think, Oh man, like, okay. And I write back, I don't know what you're supposed to do in this case. I write back and say, Oh great. Can I talk to the writer? Um, Cause I'm, cause I want to tell this writer who like, why this may not be the right story for us because it's not that we use any wine making ingredients. It's that we sort of sit on the same philosophical, um, um, you know, we share the same philosophical foundations as fine winemaking. So I talked to the writer, um, her name is Victoria Lewis, and I explained what Vintner's Daughter is all about. I explained why, you know, maybe we were not right for this story. <laughs> I still can't believe I did this. So I explained literally why we're not right for the story. I hang up and I think, oh, April, really? Did you really just talk yourself out of an end of the law story? Like, what's wrong with you? But again, like, I think about it in, in retrospect, and I think it was really one of those moments where I kind of held, held steady to who we were as a brand. And, you know, many people over the years have wanted us to fit into this very kind of like simple idea around, oh, it's winemaking. Oh, it's resveratrol. Oh, it's grapeseed, which were none of those things. And, and I understand that those are very easy stories to tell, but again, like that's not who we are. And so I think back on it, I think, oh, okay, great. You really kind of stood your ground. But at this point I'm hanging up the phone and I think you've lost your mind, April, but regardless, Two weeks, I hang up. It was a lovely conversation. Two weeks later, an article comes out entitled The Face Oil to End All Face Oils. And it was as if I had written this article. Her experience with the product was so positive and so kind of transformational for her skin that she, you know, just sang its praises. And from then on, it became a lot easier to talk to retailers. And again, I was really... Um, strategic in the retailers that I worked with. I wanted to work with retailers who were considered the best in class, who could really engage and um, invest in education because I wasn't that simple story, right? It wasn't a simple story of winemaking or even a simple story of like vitamin C or hyaluronic. I think beauty is filled with these very easy, simple soundbite products. And that is almost the opposite <laughs> of what Vintner's Daughter is. Like we make these really complex products that takes weeks to produce every single bottle. And so those stories needed to be tell, told. And, and really, I always thought of our retailers as our partners in that because I wasn't, I didn't have a huge budget for marketing, right? I didn't have a budget to go hire, you know, celebrities and influencers and what have you. And so 
having those partnerships with those retailers, especially early on, meant, meant everything. Don't you think there's some real value into launching a brand and letting the product speak for itself and letting the consumer really embrace what you've created and tell the story around it? Yes. Amen. I think it's really hard for the consumer though, because they don't know. I mean, it's impossible to know you, you open up Instagram and there's an influencer who you love and she's singing a product's praises, but guess what? You don't know that she just got paid $10,000 to do that. Right. I think it's really, really hard for the consumer. Well, even now more so than ever, you know, I'm so interested in your process and your methodology to how you, how you're the manufacturing process. How did you actually create the product? Like what, when you had this idea? It was years and years. It was, Abby, it was like years and years. So it wasn't me. To make it. it. Right. So I, okay. So. So you had a vision. You had a vision. <laughs> I had a vision. Take us, through the pro- take us through the process <laughs> so our audience. Yeah, we all sure. have vision. The vision's yeah, scared. Right. The vision's dangerous. So <laughs> take us, th- you're so cute, April. Take us through your process from conception, like brilliant idea, family business principle, sure. to how did you evolve? How did you get yeah, it sure. into the bottle and into the field? Yeah. So, well, okay. So I started out working on kind of parallel pathing three different ideas. I knew I wanted to start a business and I had three different ideas that I was working on. I had one that was this, um, it was called mighty butter. I think I still own the URL. It was called mighty butter. And it was this, it was this brand of um, kind of super food infused butters, right? Coconut butter, almond butter, whatever. And then I had this other one that was called skinny vine. It was a low calorie wine idea. Right. And then I had this and then I had Vintner's Daughter. Um, and I was kind of parallel pathing each and a little bit at a time. And um, and the wine and even the food, um, the Mighty Butter as- uh, company, uh, both felt very familiar to me. They're, they were things that I understood. I understood the path. I knew who I would go talk to. I knew who was going to do it, you know, all the way down the line. Vintner's Daughter, skincare was something I knew, at least the business side of it, I knew zero things about. But I remember being in our kitchen one day with my husband and him being like, okay, hey, dude, you've got to pick. Like, you can't be trying to start three companies at once. That's insane. And he's like, okay, talk to me about each one. And, you know, I told him about Mighty Butter. I told him told him about Skinny Vine. And then when I got to Vintner's Daughter, it was like a clear winner. I mean, my whole body language changed. I wanted to talk about it for, you know, hours, et cetera. So that was really how I kind of went down that road. And, you know, I knew that I knew I had used face oils. I had been somebody again, who had had acne all my life. And so for many years in my life was very scared of oil, of course, like we all, you know what I mean? Like I was putting, you know, benzoyl peroxide, drying my skin out, eating snack wells, you know, the whole, you know, no fat in your life anywhere, ridiculousness of, of the nineties, eighties, nineties. And, um, but I discovered oils in Morocco. I was in this kind of centuries old apothecary and was there with this woman who had all these beautiful bottles up on these very kind of, uh, roughly hewn shelves. And she didn't speak English. I didn't speak Arabic, but I kept kind of pointing at what was happening on my face, namely all this cystic acne. And she kept showing me this bottle of oil. And then I kept showing, pointing back to my face and saying like, you've got to be crazy but she just kept insisting. So I was like, okay, I'm doing this. Let's go. And I really, I mean, it sounds dramatic, but it kind of felt like this. I put that oil on that night and really felt like I was jumping off a cliff, having been somebody who had struggled with, you know, oily skin all my life. And I woke up the next morning that really began my love affair with oils. Like it was, I always think like once you, once you use an oil, it's really hard to go back. Like the, just the balance and the, um, um, the, the, the nourishment that it gives your skin is, is just so ideal for skin. 
Um, so, you know, I began researching, I'm looking for oils all over different oils and nothing really was as performance driven as I wanted. I wanted an oil that wasn't simply just kind of a nice occlusive layer to hold in hydration. I wanted it to do so much more because again, I was dealing with a lot more on my face. I was never the girl who could kind of go to sleep, put some coconut oil and wake up and everything was cool. Like I needed just a, it to be more expertly formulated. So I searched all over for formulators um, eventually, I mean, with Active Botanical Serum, it took two and a half years to formulate. We had three different formulation teams. With um, Active Treatment Essence, again, three different formulation teams. It took four and a half years to develop. And, um, and, and you know, again, going back to the, the having fewer but better products, I, I believe it's better for your skin um, as long as the products, again, are these expertly formulated, really high quality products. And, and of course, it's also better for our environment and our world to produce less. And, um, and so, you know, it's, it's the, this, this world of having these standards that again, discipline to, to kind of like live up to those standards always. And even after having this kind of huge hit cult product with active botanical serum and having that for five years, I mean, it would have been very, very easy for me to introduce active botanical serum for your, you know, eye and your neck and your knee and this little square inch over here and just had this like huge product line, um, that I could have, you know, just kept growing and growing, but that isn't what skin needed. It's not what I needed. It's not what our customers needed. So it's always pursuing that, that again, back to that North star and staying really, really true to it. If you run a brick and mortar store, guess what? You have a problem. Retail storefronts can't drive immediate conversion. And you can only have so many shoppers inside safely. Any hours you're closed, you can't make sales there. And if you make product, your product packaging is static by nature. It can't be continuously updated, which limits the consumer experience. The next time your customer might interface with you is probably when they need to buy something else sometime in the future. Even more importantly, retail storefronts and product packages both lack a human connection. Are you able to tell the same stories in your own voice to your customers like you used to in the past? Social distancing, the move to commerce, or you've just grown beyond that opportunity? You need to take a look at StoryDot. Engaging the customer throughout their journey from store to website to product packaging StoryDot supports a quick, contact-free, physical-to-digital transition, letting you tell your story to the customer and enable them to take action and motivate them to share that story on social media. No matter where that customer is, they can hear the exact story you need them to hear. And that can convert into sales and elevate their experience and turn them into your marketers when they share on social media. And key user data is generated providing more mapping of the relationship with customers. You need to see StoryDot in action and explore how StoryDot can connect the dots between you and customers. So visit www.storydot.com. That's www.storydot.com.
on the surface, it sounds like, well, there's all these, you know, similar stories or whatever. But when we talk about the success you've had, you know, I'm just like listing some of the awards, WWD, you know, 100 Greatest Skincare Products, Best Essence from Glamour, Bazaar, Pop mm. Sugar, Town and Country, yes. Cosmopolitan, L, like Birdie, like where you're winning all these like major awards. I mean, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty exciting. And then, you know, from the stores you're in, there are all the coveted larger luxury stores from Neiman Marcus, Net-A-Porter, Nordstrom's, but then the cult cool ones like Gray and Detox. And, you know, so I think this story of, you know, sticking to what you're up to. And by the way, tons of great reviews. Like this is exactly what entrepreneurs should be aiming for. So congrats to you. Because I had to brag a little bit for you. Since, oh, well, um, thank you. you thank it. you, Karen. <laughs> I mean, here's the other thing is we haven't touched on like, you know, finance. Like we haven't touched on, I don't have investors. I don't, I, I started I was there, this. I was going yeah. there. Yeah. I was going there next. I want to know. Tell it, fill yeah. us in. How'd you so do it? So this was totally do? bootstrapped. I, um, in the early nineties had bought like a 400 square foot apartment, um, on, on, on the West side highway um, for, I think like $90,000 and which was, you know, all the money in the world I had. And over the course of the next 10 years, I was able to sell that apartment as that, that whole area became, you know, super desirable. And, um, you know, they developed the West side highway and everything. And so I was able to sell that, that, that apartment in, you know, my bed pulled out of the wall. It was like this teeny tiny little place but I was able to sell it and make, and make money. And so I, um, and at that point I had moved back to California and I, um, used that to start Vintner's daughter. And again, I had one product, right? So I didn't have this overhead of 25 different products. I didn't have an overhead of, you know, all these kind of performance marketing expectations and all of, all, you know, I didn't have like a core, you know, I didn't have to show insane growth, right? That's kind of false in some, some ways, right? For me, it wasn't about like, I wanted a profitable company. It wasn't about growing revenue at every minute. It was really about having, yes, I have to grow revenue, of course, but it was really about having this like profitable company so that I could have the freedom to do all the things that I wanted and kind of take all of the chances and the risks that I wanted to take um, in challenging those norms around, around the beauty industry. So when you started, so that's such a, that's great. So you really believed enough in your product and your vision to invest in it from the beginning. So to this day, are you, have you taken in any investment or you've only, no. you've continued no. to bootstrap your yes. way? And isn't it liberating? Oh, incredibly Never. liberating. And Never. No investor would ever let me introduce two products in seven years, like two of the most kind of coveted and beloved products in two years, right? And you couldn't do it. I mean, I remember, you know, a really huge part of our partnership um, uh, deals with our with our retailers, and I'm not going to name names, but is that you, Vintner's Daughter doesn't go on sale. Like our pricing is priced at such that like we're, we're not taking normal margins that that beauty has. Um, it's why we we kind of can't work with some retailers because the margins are so insane. But when we do, it's 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 something written into our contract like you can't put us on sale. And at the very beginning of COVID, we had one of our big, not one of our our biggest retailer put us on sale. They were scared. I get it. Like they were scared. They wanted to shore up cash. All these things. And I had to like we had to break up that day and say I'm so sorry. Like you went against the terms of our you. agreement. And, you know, it took years to establish that price integrity and to have somebody kind of not only destroy it, not destroy it, but undermine it for us, but also our whole ecosystem of retailers around the world 
isn't right and it's not true partnership. So that was hard, but we did it. And um, stood your ground. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah. And I, and I think it's important, right? Because you, as soon as you kind of start eroding yep. that, it, it's just a slippery slope. You know what I'm curious about because you have, well, you had the first product for such a long time. Did, was your customer coming to you and saying, we want more, we want more, or were, were they satisfied enough with mm. the one product? Yeah. You know, the retailer, that's just one equation, right? There's your distribution. Totally. But yes. at the end of the day, no matter where you are, you still, the bottom line is who's it's buying a, your product, right. it's the woman or the man. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's our community, right? We have an extraordinary community. Yes. And, you know, so here, here is how Active Botanical Serum is created through again this three week long process where we start by with start with these some of the most nutrient dense whole plants in the world alfalfa and dandelion and nettle and and really these are plants that have been um, they've been around for centuries they've they've been honored and kind of revered since ancient times for their medicinal and nutritional properties and so we begin with these plants over the course of three weeks we capture all that beautiful energy that beautiful um, nutrition those plant actives and that is what allows us to have this deep connection with our skin now. In nature, nutrients are either oil-soluble or they are water-soluble. So because Active Botanical Serum is an oil-soluble, it's, it's ultimately an oil. We call it a serum, but it, it is an oil-based serum. During that, that infusion process where we're capturing all those nutrients, we can only capture oil-soluble nutrition. That's it, right? So vitamin A, E, magnesium, calcium, all the omegas. So really in creating Active Treatment Essence, it is the... It's the, it's the completion of a circle because it is all of the water-soluble nutrition that your skin also needs. And also interestingly, with the water-soluble nutrition, it's delivering hydration because hydration is water. And with the oil-soluble nutrition, it's delivering moisture because moisture is oil. Many people believe that moisture and hydration are the same thing. They're actually totally different. Your skin needs both. And so for us, it was introducing active treatment essence was like introducing like the second, it was like the yin to the yang, right? It was like introducing this product that was so utterly complementary to active botanical serum and would allow active botanical serum to be even that much more powerful. So it was, um, no, I mean, our customers, I mean, we have an amazing community and, you know, some people just use essence, some people use serum, most people use both together and have this streamlined routine that you know, they're not compromising anything on, right? They're getting all, everything their skin needs to be its very best in these two very, um, like, easy steps. Um, and then, you know, from time to time, of course, we always ask, what do you want to see? What do you want next? And everybody always wants a cleanser. Everybody always wants a body. People want an eye cream. Um, so it's always, you know, it's always super interesting to see what, what, what our community is interested in. You know, the other thing I was thinking about is storytelling because you have these two beautiful products. How do you continue to keep reinventing the story? Well, it's oh. not really reinventing the story, but, you know, it, it's tough when it's Abby, one. I sent, yeah. or I, not I, my team, we, we sent an She's email so out every week yeah. for five years on one product. Every week Bravo. for five years that is on one product. Freaking amazing. Right? Honestly, I, I Yes. Well, because so here's the other, do? I mean, well, cause number one, but there's I don't, a brilliance we don't have a simple that. product, right? We're not, I mean, it's not just a simple hyaluronic or a simple vitamin C, right? Like you can't just, you can't talk about that every, you know, once a week for five years. 
we have really, really complex products, right? Our sourcing was a huge, I mean, our sourcing is really intense and really um, kind of thoughtful and careful. So we told stories about our sourcing and our sourcing partners. We told stories about each and every ingredient and what they do for the skin. We told stories, we still do. I mean, we still only have two products and we send, you know what I mean? And we send an email out every week. So, I mean, we're still there, but our our products are so multidimensional um, and, um, and so we're, I don't know, we, we, we truly are never without never a story to tell. Ideas. No. Yeah. But that's so amazing. Cause if you look at the world of selling, right. Sales, you know, it's telling the story over and over and over. So five years, like it sounds like a long time, but it's probably really sunk in to the people, to the customers, you know, they, they, they that's why you have a cult following. Because I mean, your story it's, is so compelling and you kept telling the same story, but in different ways that it resonated. That's I know. I mean, and, thank, and thankfully I still love, I mean, I still love what I'm doing. Like I'm still really passionate about it and what we produce and how we produce it and, and, and the need that it is, you know, there needs to be a company like ours that really challenges some of the status quo in the beauty industry. It's funny. I think some of the best stories and best success stories are the ones that do that. Right. So, oh, for um, sure, right? you know, kudos to you. And then, you know, I felt like there were so many great lessons around discipline, you know, sticking to your authenticity. And there, there's so many things that you shared. Um, is there anything else that you think, like advice you would give for um, young indie oh, brands or entrepreneurs? Yes, yes. I mean, and, and I didn't make this up, of course, we, you know, everyone at some point sort of learns this, I you know, probably the hard way, but you know, you can have the most incredible strategy, the most incredible products, but if you don't have a great team in place, like it doesn't matter, you know, like you have to have a great team in place. And, um, and, and, you know, at the beginning I would sort of just hire anyone who was like, would wanted to come work, you know what I mean? I'd be like, Oh, you want to come work for this? Okay, great. Come on, let's do it. Right. And, and now we just, it's, it's really, we've, we were much more kind of thoughtful and conscientious about the, um, the culture we want to build. And, you know, we, we want everyone at Vintner's Daughter to be doing the best, the best work of their lives. And so it is, um, that's like something that's really important to us. And we believe if you're doing the best work of your life, like you're having the most fun. And so that's something that we've been very conscious about over the last several years. And then, you know, you also, you know, like I'm getting back to what I talked about at the very beginning. I mean, I think this was something that, you know, again, we didn't have place in place pre-COVID was a lot of the, just the way that we operate, how we operate in the world, like what is important to us. I talk about all the time that, that we are brand, we are a brand over revenue company. Like if we are given the choice of something that is going to, you know, uphold the brand or, or like uphold revenue in, 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 and the brand's going to go down, we will always choose brand. Like I want to create, we want to create a, um, you know, a heritage, this sounds wild and crazy, but we want to create one of the very first heritage skincare companies. And in order to do that, you have to constantly be focusing on brand. And so a lot of those things around brand, around sustainability, around inclusion, diversity, it's like all of the things that we've always talked about and always believed in and always put into action. But now we have them very much formalized in literally like a binder. It is all there, how we approach each of these um, or how we operate in the world. And again, how we can measure it and then try to do better. We're in the process of um, going through the B Corp certification process, which has been really great and really actually helped us put kind of structure around that, those formalized, more formalized processes. Amazing. Thanks so much for sharing. Up next, we're going to hit the pan with April and get to know more at a deeper, more personal level. 
culture starts at the top. And great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing Customer Experience from the Top is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. And now, it's Hitting the Pan. We are going to hit the pan with April to get to know her and to decide who gets to ask the first question. We're going to take a spin of the wine bottle, but don't worry, there's no PG. It's all PG. And so I'm spinning the bottle and it lands on Abby. Okay, so I've been thinking of this since the the moment this um, interview started, April, because how could I not go in the direction of your family's vineyard? Sure. You grew up in this beautiful vineyard. So I want to know about, as, you know, a child, uh, you fell in love with the property, I'm sure, but what wines do you love? What is it about that that propelled you to move forward in this in this new industry for yourself. But really what what are the wines that you love yeah. and how has that affected your personal life? Um well I don't know how well okay so the wines I like are wines that really tell a story. I mean you could have probably guessed that. I like wines that tell a story of a place, of a grape, of a particular vintage, right? That that haven't many wines are manipulated to kind of taste the same every single year, right? I like wines that that are their their own kind of um, time capsule of that particular place and time. So those are the I know that's very general, but th- that's really um, kind of my guide with wines. And kind of more largely, I think you know I think about uh, you know related to Vintner's daughter to our products. You know I never wanted to add scent to cover up. The, those beautiful formulation practices, right? For me, I always wanted transparency into our formulas. So like when you smell the signature scent of essence, which is fermented, so it has this kind of tangy kombucha-like scent, like it's there, like all of the ingredients are there for for you to kind of like, you know, uh, experience. And, and to me, that was really important to have that transparency. And I mean, I mean, that definitely extends to my life. I like, I like fewer, but better in almost everything from like furniture to food to, um, to, 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 to everything. I really appreciate quality and, and craftsmanship. I'm also a Taurus, which my friend who's really into that tells me is really just that that's where that comes from. So who knows? <laughs> oh, funny. Actually, my friend told me that too. I'm also a Taurus. Oh, well, see, it's not our fault. About, we like, like nice things. Yeah, this is what I hear. I'm like, this all makes sense now. <laughs> right. As you should. I, I love what you were saying about fewer things. It's almost, it sounds like a life mantra, or it could be like a life philosophy, you know, like minimalism. I think, uh, um, you know, who got there before us? Um, Marie Kondo? She, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking there was like another offshoot of that, but I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Taking another spin of the bottle and it lands on me. 
man, I feel like I'm so tempted to ask you something about wine, but I'm sure you get that all the time. Like, I'll just quickly tell you the question I was going to ask is like, if you could go on a vacation and choose all the different vineyards and regions to go to, what would that be? But you don't have to do that one. I'll let you choose. Or uh, what do you like to create? You get to choose. <laughs> lately, lately, you know, I'm really lucky that I've gotten to travel to a lot of different wine regions and gotten to see how different things are made. I'm really interested in wine growing regions that kind of wine grows there against all odds. Like there are places where it's incredibly like rocky, dense soil and you have like Patagonia, for instance, but you have these beautiful wines being made out of there. That's really interesting to me. The kind of um, places like, um, I mean, there are wine growing regions throughout the Middle East, which is fascinating considering the history of, um, of, of wine and, and religious ceremonies, which is, would be super fascinating to go learn about and see. But, but the first thing, Karen, the first thing that came to my mind was there's a couple gin distilleries that I'd really like to go check out in Ooh. the UK. <laughs> Um, I'm really, I mean, again, it's kind of the botanical, um, you know, it's, it's sort of the botanical spirit, right? There's, it's, it's, it's really communicates, you're, you're able to, um, bring flavors of so many different botanicals into gins, which is really interesting to me. Yeah. No, you know, it's interesting. Like, what's your favorite gin? I'm actually like in the last several years, I've kind of have been discovering gin because, um, I always had, I love a martini. But I always had vodka martinis, and it just in my mm. head that's what you order, even though gin's like normal. And it was I think gin was, was the traveling. original martini, right? Exactly. So I don't know who branded vodka, but then like I'm actually very much into aromatic flavors. Yeah. So now it's been like exploring. Like I love Monkey Forty Seven, and yes. you know it's just it's a, it's been an exploration of different gins. I'm curious, what's your favorite, or what well, one we should try? Yeah, I love. I mean, I'm sure you've tried Botanist. Have you ever tried Botanist? No, I should. Oh, you would like botanist. Next on the list. Okay, um, cool. And then I have, I mean, I, Karen, I order these gins from literally all over the world that are made like 10 and 12 at a time. I mean, like I'm sort of deep in it at this point, but, um, cool. but I love, like, I really like, like I said, I really like botanist. I like St. George. Um, I've really been investigating a lot of women distillers. So there's a lot of women distillers that I've been, I've been, um, interested in and, um, I don't know. It's just fun to, you know, probably my favorite gin is like literally whatever's in my glass. Amazing. You know, it's so funny. I went to a cocktail making event. It was hosted oh, by Dewar's, mm-hmm. um, some Scotch brand, but their chief distiller is a woman. And I thought that was so cool. Um, it is cool. I because mean, because it is a man's, I mean, good. the world of, of wine is, is very much, um, um, a, a man's world. And, and you can imagine spirits is, is kind of even a multiple of that. What is the best way for listeners to get in touch? You guys are going to crack up when you hear this, but I'm always on our Instagram DM. I love, I love hearing what people are saying. I love answering questions and I don't get to do a lot of it through, you know, kind of normal customer service channels. So Instagram DM is where I can be found. Well, thank you. Thank you, April, for all the education, for the advice for entrepreneurs, for your amazing story and love, like, I mean, you know, as founders ourselves, like, it feels so good to hear someone to stick to their guns and it work work out. It's like all the no's you said turned into amazing yeses. So kudos to you. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us on another episode of Beauty Is Your Business. This is Karen Moon signing off. Hugs and kisses. This has been Beauty Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. 
Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.